Hey guys, what's up? This is uh, week 341. I'm here to do some reviews for you, but first I just want to thank you guys for all the kind words. Uh, the first one up is actually something pretty special to me. I've always kind of uh, had a fondness of this film when I eventually did watch it. Now, uh, what put me off from watching this movie when I was really young, um, before I didn't have a VHS on this one at all, but was uh, it was always in the public domain kind of big budget packet sets with like Night of Living Dead and Dementia 13. So either somebody thought it was public domain and put it out there, or it was, and and so therefore it kind of got put out there in really poor quality for years. So people always kind of hated on the film. Um, eventually Code Red picked up the DVD rights or they've just decided to remaster it and put out a nice looking DVD and that's when I initially saw it and really enjoyed the film. Uh, the movie is Messiah of Evil. Later a Blu-ray would follow. But uh, the Blu-ray was a little lacking. It was it was very cool to have but uh, this new one from Radiance Films looks excellent. So Radiance Films essentially I've covered almost all their American output so far and I've been pretty impressed with all of it. Um, there's a couple I still need to get to. I haven't dove into any of their UK release onlys, but uh, they do a pretty good job. They're kind of like, I think, some of the people from Arrow, but uh, Messiah of Evil is probably one release I was looking most forward to this year. Um, it's got a certain quality about it. It's uh, very regional, very Lovecraftian. It has a regional quality, you know what I mean? So essentially the plot is opens up kind of like that, uh, I guess, unreliable narrator. We have somebody who's telling the story and narration, and they're in a mental institution, and they, they open their line up beautifully. I hear nightmares or dreams perverted. And they go on this whole kind of spiel, and, and it's a warning, and it's terrifying. And it, it, you're terrified for this person's sanity and safety, and then you get into the story. And what we learn is that our lead character, played by Mariana Hill, who pops up in stuff like Schizoid, and a couple other uh, horror films that I can't... That one of them's leaving my mind, and she's really good in it. Uh, so she basically is on her way to find her father, who was a, a kind of a, a famous, you know, painter artist, and he is living in this Point Doom place, and he's kind of isolated after the mother died, and he's been kind of living there, and he's been writing her notes. That's the only kind of contact they've had. He's played by legendary character actor Royal Dano. Now Royal Dano is in a slew of great films like uh, some some kind of old westerns, drama. He's in If He Hollers, Let Him Go. But for the horror fans, we'll know. Him from something wicked this way comes Ghoulies 2, of course, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. He's really uh, a really good character actor, great actor in this one as well. Much more serious role, kind of tended to play drunks or alcoholics of that nature. So, what happens is she goes to this small town, and this small town isn't right, it's, it's kind of a coastal town, and there's a lot of weird things going on. There's an actor, uh, this kind of strange rich person who's traveling with kind of bohemia lifestyle with these two pretty girls, and they kind of are a thing, one's younger. And he is interested in this town, and he's interviewing Elijah Cook Jr., another great character actor, pops up in Salem's Lot and the Maltese Falcon, among a million other movies. Very good. Very good performances, this kind of this, this kind of almost slow, kind of drunk telling the story of this town. He doesn't want to get into the details, but he starts mentioning blood moons and his father's history and all these kind of weird, sad, crooked scary things. There's not many people in the town. It's very isolated. On the way there, in fact, she encounters an albino man who eats mice, um, as we find out later on in the film. Just lots of creepy things. Um, uh, just right off the bat, it's unsettling. It's nightmare logic almost. And just, it seems like in a world gone mad, if that makes any sense. Which I believe is actually a tag, is one of the lines in the Dawn of the Dead trailer, in a world gone mad. And there is similarities to this Dawn of the Dead and Romero in general. You know, this has a, a big Big Let's Scare Jessica to Death flavor, a Carnival of Souls flavor, a Night of Living Dead flavor. And um, in the, some of the special features, they were mentioning, hey, you know, maybe Romero did see this after, and he kind of was inspired to do some of the, you know, the big open spaces and uh, the consumerism with the supermarket scene in this in, in Dawn of the Dead. I mean, obviously, this was inspired by Night of Living Dead, so why not? So... Basically what happens is as she gets deeper into this town, um, she starts to kind of lose her grip on reality as she's reading her father's journals in this kind of beautiful house that they're staying at her father's house. All the walls are painted with like these kind of uh, figures that don't have any faces and it's definitely reminiscent of the, the townspeople when you do see them and they're, they're ghouls of sorts. So it's really creepy in that aspect and this bohemian group is kind of traveling with her and they stay with her and as, as it goes on, she's reading this diary and she seems to be a couple days behind 
behind her father's madness. And it gets really creepy, really scary. There's some of the all-time great scares in this film, uh, to be honest. There's one, of course, in a supermarket that's world famous. Um, and the ghouls in this film are terrifying. They look very uh, strange and, and just dead and scary. And they're not your typical zombies. And, of course, the movie theater scene is also excellent as well. Um, so there's just a lot of great uh, scenes as and, and that make a great whole. The Lovecraftian aspect is told in flashbacks. There's so many things that are very Lovecraftian. If you look at this, and this is one thing that always kind of drew me to this movie as I got older, is I love these kind of these really creepy kind of almost "Am I losing my mind? Where are we?" kind of films like this, and this one is definitely one of those. So. It's the idea that we have this person telling a story, right? And then within her story, she's listening to, uh, you know, her father, her, her father's narration as she reads through this journal and realizes what's happened. That happens in a lot of Lovecraft, right? You'll learn the story through a character that had heard it through a tape that somebody else left for them. They do that in Color Out of Space kind of, I think, as a, you know, to keep true to Lovecraft in itself in the film. I'm not sure if that was in the original story. But you know what I mean? The idea that you're actually retelling the story. You've gone mad from hearing somebody else's encounter with what has happened. It's really good stuff, really layers of creepiness and, and kind of paints a real kind of mythology or, or basically a confusion about the whole thing. Uh, so, so as it progresses, of course, people are attacked by these ghouls in, in kind of terrifying ways. And this film was taken away from the director. There were a pair of directors that actually made another film, Howard the Duck. They worked with George Lucas as and like writers and things like that, screenwriters, and did great jobs. Obviously, Howard the Duck did not turn out how they wanted it. Either did this film, I don't think. It was taken from them in the editing. And what they did, you know, whoever did the editing did a good job. I mean, it's a very creepy, effective film. It's kind of patched together, but for some reason that works really well with how this one turned out. Um, there is a lot of creepy sound elements, a static elements, kind of strange, creepy sounds, a pew! You know, reminds me of Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, another zombie film that was made after Night Before Dawn. And if you watch a lot of zombie films after Night Before Dawn, they all have an eerie, kind of creepy, crypt-like quality. I mean, Tombs of the Blind Dead, Messiah of Evil, um, um, Shockwaves even. There's so many movies, and Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, The Child. Um, there's just so weird quality of zombie films between those two. And, and there's a lot of great ones, to be honest. I think that some of the most underrated zombie films films ever made were made between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Let's Sleeping Corpses Lie is another one. So like I do see a lot of the similarities in here and I tend to fall for those movies quite quite a bit, you know. And I do like that creepy kind of atmospheric uh wandering through the um you know the weird kind of creepy uh small town where you really don't know what's happening to you and you don't know what's going to happen to you. So Messiah of Evil is a personal favorite of mine. Every time I watch it it gets better. The soundtrack and the score, all that stuff is excellent. I love it. Um, the acting is good. The uh, the story is creepy, and the ending is amazing too. And the opening with "No one can hear you scream" is by far my, one of my all-time favorite openings. Um, narration in here too. I really like it. Um, um, when I get to 1973, eventually, and do that year, I'm definitely opening it up with uh, "And no one can hear you scream." And I have a great idea for it. Um, a lot of editing of screaming, and of course, some music that I'm gonna clearly pick. But as far as special features are concerned, this has never looked better. I've seen. You know, the old DVD, the Blu-rays, and this looks way better. It looks great. Um, the colors pop. I mean, it has a low-budget movie, and they probably used the best elements they could, but I thought it looked fantastic. So we have a new restoration from a 4K scan, best surviving film elements from the Academy Film Archive. Okay, mono sound, audio commentary by critics Kim Newman and Stephen Thrower. Never heard them on a commentary together, and they both have a lot to say. It's a very packed commentary. And then we also have archival interview with William Hullick, who is the director. What the Blood Moon Brings, Messiah of Evil, a new American Nightmare documentary feature, which explores Messiah of Evil in the context of American independent cinema of the 70s, as well as examining the film's allegiance to several subgenres of horror. That is great stuff. Um, everybody, a lot of people are involved with that. A lot of people you've seen in special features, they do a great job. And then we have a visual essay by critic Cat Allinger, who I also love. We have subtitles, finally. Reversible Sleeve, original newly commissioned artwork by um, Tom Tomorrow, booklet featuring new writing by Bill Ackerman, who has a podcast as well, Supporting Players. So also the uh, new interview with the director is from the Projection Booth podcast with Mike White. So we have tons of great people involved with this release. Um, and you know what? I'm super happy to finally see this bad boy get some love that it deserves. Uh, great booklet. Great movie. Uh, 
My favorite, probably my favorite, one of my favorite releases of the year. I'd have to sit down and think of it, but Messiah of Evil sits towards the top. Um, excellent film. And if you only saw it on budget releases, give it another chance. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I love it. Okay, the next one here, we have a doozy. is uh, from Arrow, and this is a 4K of a movie I never saw by Roger Vadim, based off a graphic novel, and this is Barbarella. So Barbarella is just a bizarre movie. It's a cult item that I've been meaning to see for years. Um, it has David Hemmings in here, Jane Fonda, some other familiar faces. It has a tiny role by Fabio Testi. I spotted him. I was like, is that Fabio Testi? It is. It is. Um, some other people that I think people would know here. John Philip Law. How could I forget him? From stuff like Attack uh, 4Z. And uh, John Philip Law is just a strange actor to me, right? If you want to call him an actor, he kind of had this straight face, kind of no kind of personality kind of character. So this is weird. So Jane Fonda is Barbarella, and she is basically told that she needs to go find this scientist so she can prevent this kind of crazy war happening because the scientist has access to these weapons and they don't want the weapons to fall in the hands of anyone else. They live in this weird new futuristic society in this film where like sex, they don't really have sex. Think Demolition Man, right? Where they get, they have sex in weird pill form, all sorts of stuff like that. But uh, so she gets into the real world and she starts to have all these weird, crazy experiences and run-ins with these different people like a barbarian kind of group of people and you know at first she has, she has her first sexual encounter and then before long she starts to kind of long for it and have it and I want it um so basically it, it's really weird and silly and David Hemmings has a great role in here he's very funny um and it, it's just kind of a bonkers movie where you like try to describe the plot and you're like does it matter the main villain in here is excellent um Jeremy saw this and he said it's like Jeff Goldblum meets John Lovitz and I was like that's a great that's a great mismatch and I, I do see that as well but uh, what really kind of stands out, besides this movie looking um, wonderfully beautiful and, and 4K because the sets are so immaculate and everything pops, um, is just how bizarre and quirky and weird everything it is. It does really feel like popcorn and bubblegum and all these kind of comic stuff. It's very, very like perfect for that kind of thing like and in 68 it does kind of push that sexual bar this is produced by dino de laurentis who you know produced some of the craziest and weirdest movies and i'm so glad that he existed because he had so many movies him and the, the canon film group took so many weird chances to make money and make strange films and, and so it's crazy because they'll make some of the weirdest movies that are hated by everyone and then like one of the greatest or most beloved cult films of all time and especially dino de laurentis so i mean like you know this one i thought was excellent really for what it was i was very entertained by it i was kind of taken back how you know i'd never seen this this was a huge blind spot for me uh visually it's excellent lots of crazy sets and designs and all sorts of weird shit but i would really recommend checking out barbarella i think that most people will really enjoy this one um it's tons of features in here i don't really know what to go about and say anything more about it except read off a million features because as disc one 4k um course hdr 10 dolby vision original lossless english mono also a plus a 5.1 remix and a dolby atmos surround and lossless and then we have also french mono um featuring the voice of jane fonda in french optional english subtitles for deaf and hard hearing audio commentary by film critic tim lucas alternative opening and closing credits in 4k with dolby vision now tim lucas is an expert on everything he does an excellent job here he's also involved with more features on the disc another girl another planet and appreciation of barbarella by film critic glenn kenny paul joyce's behind the scenes featurette barbarella forever uh Love, a two-hour in-depth discussion between film cultural historians Tim Lucas and Steve Bissett. And that's great. And these guys talk, and the impact on Legacy of Barbarella. That's excellent. They talk about the other kind of big kind of uh, comic kind of style movies and stuff like Danger to Balik. Um, Dress to Kill, a 30-minute interview with film fashion um, scholar Elizabeth uh, Costello Lundgren, um, London, on the Jockeys uh, Forays world-changing costume designs. Framing for Claude, an interview with camera operator Roberto Giorometti. Uh, Tagnazi uh, on Tagnazi actor slash director Ricky Tagnazi discusses the life and work of his father and Barbarella star Ugo um, an angel bodies double actor Fabio Tessi discusses his early career as a stuntman and body double for John Philip Law and Barbarella Dino and Barbarella video essay by Eugenia Urkelok Urkelani, I'm producer Dino De Laurentiis, and this guy is contributes to so many uh, releases as well. That's also a very good one. I mean, so like there's a lot of talk of Dino De Laurentiis and stories, which is great. This amazing booklet um, with wonderful pictures in here. So like, I really like. This is a great release. If you're a fan of the movie, it's a must. It's two disc um, with tons of stuff going on. I'll show you in the video. Um, I, I would really recommend checking out Barbarella if you like cult films, if you like weird films, if you're into like um, 
I guess pop culture, especially in the '60s and all that kind of stuff, and and like early comic kind of style things. And I would highly recommend checking this out. I enjoyed it. I would definitely revisit. I would definitely go see this in a theater if I could get a chance to. But that's Barbarella. Great stuff. The next one here is uh, from Visual Vengeance, of course, and this is Scream Queen, starring Linnea Quigley of all people. I mean, if you got a movie called Scream Queen, I mean, you can't go wrong with Linnea Quigley in the lead role. It's by Brad Skies, and you know the Brad Skies movie I'm most familiar with. I know he was an independent director for a long time, made a lot of low-budget movies, and this was his first kind of like L.A. kind of big movie, I guess you'd say, bigger movie. Was uh, Plaggers. Plaggers was a really kind of crazy, like zombie alien thing. Very gory, very entertaining, very ambitious. It's been a while since I watched this one. But uh, Scream Queen is a movie that if I heard about it, it was only in passing. It's kind of a rare film. And Visual Vengeance is taking these kind of older films and sometimes like on Super 8 or 16 or uh, shot on video or whatever and putting in these like deluxe edition Blu-rays. They put out some cool stuff like The Abomination. They put out some weird kind of off-the-wall, really cheap, crappy, nonsensical, silly movies like Lycan Colony. And Scream Queen is interesting. Um, when I was watching this, I was like, this doesn't feel like exactly a completed movie, to be honest. So Brad Scott talks on this release and he didn't get to edit this thing and it kind of was lost kind of never really got a strong release at all um was supposed to be a dvd in like 2014 or something like that and then got pushed back something happened it never came out so finally this is kind of the first real release or good release that it's had so essentially what we have here is kind of a movie that's kind of self-aware definitely playing poking fun at the kind of underground independent cinema you know of the time low budget no budget cinema so linnea quigley kind of plays herself kind of stars herself of course it's a character type of herself over the top kind of deal so the opening of the film they're making a movie and there's a really funny moment where she jumps on this actress and starts choking her and she's like why won't you die bitch and like you don't know it's a movie at first so it's, it's a really good gag but even after you find out this movie it's still kind of funny so like Linnea Quigley is just this really difficult scream queen to work with and is first time director and there's a lot of arguments and on the way back uh, she gets in her car and she has a crash and she dies so this kind of ruins all the people involved with the film they're no longer acting the director's no longer working and they're kind of just like slumming it in the last couple of years the next couple of years and this director obviously longs to film this movie and finish it up so lo and behold they all get a crazy invitation think kind of a gothic kind of almost a giallo setup um you know deal so they all end up showing up and guess who threw the party of course in Linnea Quigley and people start getting picked off soon enough it's not too hard to determine what's going on the special effects are okay I mean it's a very you know digital movie it doesn't look great too much it's hard to see a lot of the stuff going on it's a cheap digital movie at the time um, and the end has a lot of fragmenting issues. I don't know what happened there. Now, like I said, the director didn't get to uh, edit this thing. I think one of the Polonia brothers actually edited it, so there's that. So regardless, this movie has some interesting ideas. Um, it's a little ahead of its time. I guess it wasn't on the bandwagon. This was filmed in 1998. Scream, obviously, in 96, and there's a million movies that self-reference other movies and movies on movie sets and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but this one, I guess, was not a bandwagon jumper like a lot of people might think it was. It was kind of doing its own thing and had some originality to it. Um, Linnea's fun in it. She always has that kind of energy and that acting style to be like in these kind of movies. I, I don't, you know, like I think she would say that she's not like a classically trained amazing actress or anything like that, but Linnea Quigley has a certain, you know, presence and cadence about her that is just perfect for a scream queen, especially after watching stuff like Night of the Demons and of course Return of the Living Dead. Um, as far as the rest of the acting, not to be rude, I think most of it's pretty poor um, and that could just be the, the picking up on the dialogue, all sorts of things, right? I don't want to pinpoint anyone indistinct out there and stuff like that uh, there's a nice little cool miniature um but you know I, I can't be like oh the acting's phenomenal in this because it's really not um there is no nudity, which is strange. You know, I don't need nudity, but in this kind of movie, you would expect it because it's riffing on movies that have tons of nudity. That's kind of funny. Like, people complain about the final girls. So, like, it's riffing on slasher movies, but it doesn't have any of the gore or nudity that it's riffing on or making fun of. It doesn't feel like a true parody. And this one is obviously making statements and stuff like that. It's, it's you know, I, I would have been able to use more gore. There's some gore, um, some kills. Um, but, again, it's more in that kind of mystery kind of style, although the mystery isn't much of one. Um, but there is some twists and turns. Overall, it's okay. It's interesting to watch. A kind of lost piece of cinema from this director. Not necessarily lost, but forgotten, I would say. Um, but as far as the features are concerned, we have a new approved uh, 480 SD master from Original Tape Elements. Commentary with writer-director Brad Skies. Um, is it Skies or Sky? I, I, it's spelled Skies, but I'm not 100% sure. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, new behind-the-scenes documentary. Bonus second feature, original producer's cut of Screen Queen. New Linnea Quigley interview. That was nice to see. Um, editor Mark Polonia interview. Behind-the-scenes image gallery. 
Linnea Quigley Image Gallery, Original Script Selects, Original Trailer, Visual Vengeance Trailers, six-page liner notes by Tony Strauss of Wang Chop Magazine, collectible Linnea Quigley folded mini poster. But you do get kind of a, a glimpse at what the independent movie scene was back then, and you kind of get to see some super fans and people talking about Dragolina Magazine, fanzine. So, like, there is obviously reference points to for people that would be interested in the horse scene in the late 90s, early 2000s. So there's that going forward as well. And plus, if you're a huge Linnea fan, then check it out. I mean, there's a couple movies that she was in that really haven't got wide releases. Recently, we saw the one Hearts of Darkness get released by them. That was very cool. There's one that got kind of, I know it's got a release, but I don't think it has a DVD or anything or a Blu-ray, especially called Animals that she was in from the late 90s. And that movie's pretty wild, if I remember correctly. But Scream Queen, check it out. It sounds like it's up your alley. Okay, the next one here is another one from Visual Vengeance. And this is The Wrong Door from 1990, if I'm not mistaken. And this one's actually shot on Super 8. So I love that. So I love when they put out these Super 8 movies. And this one I've never seen. It's kind of like a Hitchcockian kind of horror thriller. Is definitely what the director was kind of going for. That's a cool cover art. And yeah, this one is just kind of a cat and mouse kind of horror film. But it's in Super 8. So it looks really good. And it got, it's got it got a really nice quality about it. You know, like I said, I'm a sucker for those kind of like cheap little film stock movies that whatnot. So basically what we have here is there's this guy who's like a sound engineer in his hobby. But uh, for a job, for a gig, um, he kind of just goes and dresses up as a jester and goes to like parties and entertains and stuff like that so on his way to a party he knocks on the wrong door and this girl who looks like she's in turmoil needs help desperately answers and he reads her lips help me we hear a guy in the background just close the door tell him they got the wrong place um but before he can do anything about it he gets pulled into the party uh, next door and the entire time he's performing he's thinking about her so eventually he ends up going back there and uh, it appears that she was attacked by something and she appears in really bad condition uh, eventually what happens is um, the person who did it kind of comes back and there's a couple of them and they start to kind of chase him through the town and it gets more complicated until maybe um, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything like that but it's kind of like it's a chase through the night and uh, the main villain in here is kind of creepy definitely a, it's not over yet kind of guy um, and there is a piece of evidence that they need kind of like a blowout right um, um, kind of like something that the bad guys are after uh, yeah I, I really like this one I thought it was well made uh, cheap but in the best kind of way obviously professionally done for what it is um, The Wrong Door I'd recommend checking this out if you like these kind of like low budget kind of movies shot on film then The Wrong Door is definitely up your alley uh, brand new director supervised 2k HD transfer from original super 8 film elements love that commentary with director Bill Weiss and Sean Corby uh, and then we have another other commentary it's James Grotz and producer John uh, Skolbaum. New documentary, Men Make Movie, If Not Millions. Director James Grotz interview. Director Sean Corby interview. Director Bill Weiss interview. Actor Matt Femley interviewed. Uh, distributing the Wrong Door, Chris Gore interview. Um, and that's, uh, is that the one where I talk, they talk about um, film? Uh, threat uh, tape and magazine and everything like that. Very cool. So you get a kind of glimpse at that kind of too, uh, preserving kind of what indie horror was at the time. Second feature, alternate director's cut of the wrong door from 2019. Super 8 shorts, Raiders of the Lost Bark, and the Pizza Man TV episode, the Gail Whitman show, original unedited mother video VHS intros. So we got all this kind of stuff going. Original film threat print review, now hiring movie trailer, tons and tons of stuff on this one. If it sounds like it's up your alley, check out the wrong door. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Um, um, personally, I'd never really heard of this one. Maybe just in passing, but I didn't know much about it. Glad I watched it. Good from Visual Vengeance. I think one of their uh, better releases, actually. All right, we're going to hop into those 1981 movies. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
Okay, the first up, I actually imported this along with a couple other titles, and this is really kind of the only place I could find it at the time, although since it's popped up on YouTube, but still, I'm glad I ordered it, and this is called The Hut. Um, so this is a Korean, a South Korean film. Um, I had not heard much about it. I don't know if it's been remade, but they definitely have talked about The Hut later on. This is like a nice deluxe edition like from this company called uh, Korean Film Archive Blu-ray Collection. Uh, it's uh, region free, so if anyone has English subtitles, Japanese subtitles, and of course Korean subtitles. So The Hut. Um, this was kind of towards the top of the list on Letterboxd of 1981 horror movies, and I was like, I can't find that one. I'm going to have to take it off the list. Couldn't find it anywhere. And then eventually I saw it on uh, Blu-ray, and I was like, oh, this has a release. I, I got to try to get this. Um, and I probably paid more than I should have. But so essentially, this is uh, a good film, a mystery film, mystery horror film with maybe a supernatural tinge. Um, I would think this, this would be a good, like a precursor to stuff like The Wailing from 2016. If people have seen The Wailing and they have the spells and all that kind of stuff, and like Small Village and all this kind of thing like that, I would say that this is definitely a precursor to that kind of deal. And a lot of these Asian horror films, um, they all have their own kind of curses and way things are done. If you watch a lot of the Hong Kong or Chinese ones, they have the, you know, Mr. Vampire movies with the spells on there. Um, even the Japanese ones, when we get into ghost stories, they have their elements and the Koreans kind of had their own deal too. So essentially what we have here is there's this sick son. He's uh, godly sick. He is dying and they're in a small village, very superstitious village. So they want to use the shaman. None of the shamans are working to save their son. And it appears that kind of all the young men in this family die young. It's kind of a curse. So they bring in this ultimate shaman and she's supposed to be really good. She's younger. And she starts to perform these things. And she says, you know, there's something blocking this. I can't stop it. Why don't you guys, is there anything going on in this village? And they say, they kind of have this big backstory. They keep talking about it must be the spirit of this person. So there's a huge chunk of the movie that has this flashback about 30, 40 minutes. And we see who this person is, what happened to this person, who's involved with all this stuff, and uh, why this is happening. And I don't want to spoil any of that stuff. But it all involves this hut. That's why it's called the hut. And the hut in the small village is where they send people who are ready to give birth, people who are ready to die. But you learn more about the hut. You learn who ends up in the hut. And you learn who the shaman is. You learn their motives. You learn these people's motives. And you learn all sorts of things like that. When they start to kind of lean, you see these rituals and all sorts. It's a gorgeous movie. It's shot really well. Uh, great music and a great ending, too. It's, a, it's kind of a very powerful ending. I would really recommend checking the hut out if you've not seen it. Um, it's, it's well acted. It's well directed. It's an interesting story and is a great glimpse at maybe learning about you know another country's kind of uh, I wouldn't say superstitions but beliefs and everything like that and, and a weird kind of society and, and stuff like that even 20 years later than that, that happened it's just kind of a, a very uh, patriarchal society and it doesn't really favor the woman unfortunately in this but I would really recommend checking out The Hut I'm glad I watched it I'm glad I picked it up I definitely would watch it again it's a good release to have because I'm not really seeing anyone else talk about this Blu-ray or anything like that but check it out Yes Asia has it it's not cheap maybe you can find it cheaper DDD House did not have it or I would have bought it from them but hey it, it, this is good stuff this is called The Hut okay the next one up from 1981 is a Hong Kong flick and this is a thriller but I was like, eh, I want to watch some of these thrillers that were on my list. And uh, this is Man on the Brink. 
So this is an undercover police story here. Um, this was pretty good. So we follow this undercover cop who's just not particularly good at his job. He kind of loses all his job. Uh, his jobs, he gets fired. He has a girlfriend and a sister who's always bad mouthing him. You know, the brother-in-law is always angry. So in the very beginning, you kind of see that he has a good heart when he wants to let these illegal sellers. He wants to let this old lady go. He's like, get out of here. He gets kind of reprimanded for it, but he gets called in the office, and he's a young guy. He doesn't have. He's not married, so he thinks he's getting fired. And his his chief says, you know what? Do you want to go? undercover. I want you to kind of infiltrate this, you know, this gang, this very dangerous gang. And at first he, he seems, he wants to take the job and he has a, a kind of a contact inside the gang. And at first it goes shaky, but him and the contact eventually meet and he becomes very good friends and very close to this contact as the only person that understands his life truthfully and wholly, you know, being an undercover is tough, but there's a couple of villains that are introduced really villainous kind of tough guys and everything like that. One of them in particular is kind of a main guy, really scary, um, hitting women a lot, but he's kind of goofy at the same time. I don't remember his name in this. So, uh, basically him and his buddy are, are, are tipping off the police officers and always kind of getting away at the very end or getting arrested and, and fighting off or getting released and all this kind of stuff like this. And of course it starts to escalate and at one point there is uh, obviously some incredible violence and he is basically at fault for certain things. And as the movie progresses, you see him kind of string out, get strung out, and he has these bags under his eyes. He's drinking more. He owes money. He obviously is becoming the thing that he's supposed to be stopping. He's becoming a criminal, and he can't stop it. Um, uh, the ending is really strong in this one, really powerful stuff, very tragic. Uh, this is a very serious Hong Kong film. A lot of Hong Kong films have an element of comedy, almost all of them, right? Uh, they have a silliness, even if they are brutal. If you look at a lot of the Cat 3 stuff, they have a very, you know, a silly kind of comedic thing. And I, I think I saw this one being compared to stuff like The Happening, um, The Happenings from 1980, which I do see. You know, that's kind of a young group of people getting caught in this crazy, violent, criminal-esque situation, which is a good film. And there's a couple others that they compared this to, um, Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind, and I can see that as well. Now, this guy may not be a youth, but he's certainly young, and he starts to get taken in with these other kind of younger guys and commit these crimes. Um, but the ending is also reminds me of stuff like Red to Kill, when we have that mob mentality and these kind of crazy large apartment buildings and everything like that. But uh, good film. Man on the Brink, I would recommend checking it out if you can find it. I think it has had a Blu-ray release. I don't think it's had one in the States, but it is available out there, so Man on the Brink. Okay, and the last one from 1981 is also more of a, a thriller, less of a horror film, but it does have your kind of classic villain gang that would appear in a rape revenge film, most certainly. So, uh, yeah, this one is called The Mob Fix, uh, Mob Fix uh, Patrol, and this is a bizarre one. So the two leads in this film, you guys would recognize right away if you watched any um, kind of, uh, you know, Hong Kong genre cinema. It has uh, the, the heavy guy from The Beast, uh, the bald guy. He's in a million of these movies. He always plays a character named Fatty or Fatso, and he's fats on this and he's a police officer and his partner is called weirdo and his partner is actually played by a guy from dangerous encounters of the first kind the real skinny guy who also appears in stuff like taxi hunter as kind of like the ta the the kind of criminal that anthony wong has a big account with so like these guys are in a bunch of these movies you see them in tons of them they're partners and they're weirdo and fatso and they're almost kind of like a comical police officer group but what happens is you know they kind of screw up a lot they kind of mess up all the time they try to do this big kind of thing that they hear about on their own but what happens is it goes wrong. Somebody gets shot. And actually, I think it's uh, the actor um, Shang. Um, Shang, I can't remember his name, who died tragically very young. This is a Shaw Brothers film. He was in a bunch of Shaw Brothers movies, and he would have been a bigger actor and stuff like that. But he died tragically in a car accident at age 19, 20 or something like that, 25 maybe. But he was very young, and he's in this for a small bit as a police officer. And he takes an injury in this film, and they get in trouble for it, and they kind of get deported. So one of them gets thrown into a different precinct, and one gets thrown completely far away. So they're doing stuff that they really don't want to do but they live together they're inseparable they're best buddies and what happens is uh, weirdo ends up having to go undercover and we've been introduced to these really ruthless villains this 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 um, quartet of villains throughout the entire movie and we're seeing glimpses of them and they're all very memorable um, the main one is called Big Boss and he's in a bunch of these uh, you know Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies he's a heavy he's got a mean look he's a he just seems very intimidating another is called Nancy and he is a homosexual character which is rare to see a, a, a homosexual kind of character in these gang movies like this and his introduction is great because somebody like kind of tries to screw with him because he's clearly very flamboyant and they try to sit him on his lap and he just starts overpowering it. I was like, that's awesome. And then we also have, of course, uh, a Pighead, 
who's kind of like a, just a guy who's obsessed with mice and he's sleazy, always trying to sleep with women. And one of the most infamous or, or, or memorable villains is Longhair. And Longhair is actually played by the really ugly, gnarly guy with the messed up teeth in The Beast from the year previous. Now, I also, that's kind of interesting because um, The Beast also has Fatso in it as one of the beasts. So it's kind of a reunion of those two being in this movie together. And Longhair, the guy who played Longhair, was only in a handful of movies. And and it's so weird that these are back-to-back. He's just an excellent villain. I mean, his whole like character is based on how bad of teeth he has. It's so weird. But uh, yeah, so the bad guys are ruthless. They're they're creepy. They're weird. Um, they're memorable. This one does have a good element of comedy in it, of course. The cops are always getting arguments with other cops. In fact, another cop enters the picture that they got in arguments with as one of their superiors, and he becomes a major playing force in this movie. He's also the film's director. So like, what happens is there is, uh, obviously, tragedy is going to strike here, and I don't want to spoil exactly what happens, but um, these bad guys are responsible for it, and the the remaining people standing afterwards are not going to let that slide. They're going to do any means necessary, so we have kind of cops going off the rails to get things done. The score that always pops in, I feel like it's got to be lifted from something, but it's very memorable. But uh, there is a, a rape scene in it. Um, it. Most of it's off screen, if I'm not mistaken, um, but obviously the impl- impl- you know what it implies is pretty brutal stuff, but um, I have to say this. There is a moment when one of the characters is yelling at another character for what happened to them, and they have this big speech, and they said, why didn't you come get me? We're supposed to be buddies, and instead of like showing his tears and crying, he's getting angry and emotional and that's how he's like hiding it it's just like a really powerful scene and i was just like that is really awesome i thought i mean just the way the performance was and how it was done i thought that was great um i really liked this one i thought uh, mob fix patrol was great um totally up my alley good bad guys good cops um entertaining cops just action chasing shooting um it's not as extreme as a cat three or anything like that mom I don't want to even put it in something of the level of her vengeance, like as extreme as that. But, you know, I really enjoyed it. I like these kind of, you know, I, I like it better than Man on the Brink. But I think Man on the Brink is probably a better movie, if that makes any sense to anybody. But I like these ones. So Mob uh, Mob uh, Fix Patrol, great stuff. Uh, recommend it if you can get a hold of it. I, I'd like this to get a Blu-ray. I would definitely buy it. Okay, and the Patreon pick, I think, was from Jim Simon, and this was Big Trouble, 2002, and I had seen this actually when it came out. I was probably like, what, 16, 17 when Big Trouble came out. Um, this is kind of, this is not Big Trouble in Little China, of course. This is kind of just this weird kind of comedy of airs, oh, like broad, weird, silly comedy deal with a huge cast and everybody's kind of focused on this one thing and everybody's intertwined and they're going to have all these crazy silly funny interactions that's exactly what it is probably reminds me of something like get shorty right like all the big cast and stuff like that but big shorty's obviously probably a little bit more subdued i, I don't think i've ever seen it the big short get shorty's like one of those movies i saw half of and i just had that huge cast and everything like that and i just don't remember every detail about it but i remember being like all these characters mixed in and intertwined like that this movie is silly though and it starts tim allen and i gotta say this i grew up watching tim allen on home improvement and everything like I always kind of enjoyed Tim Allen and he wasn't in that many movies what was it uh, Jungle the Jungle and stuff like that um, Santa Claus but I just felt after watching this it's like Tim Allen could have been a more of a film actor instead of a TV actor. I thought he's pretty good in this. And it's kind of strange that he's the star of this when you got so many people in here. I believe Rene Russo is in here, Stanley Tucci's in here, Tom Sizemore, Johnny Knoxville. Who else pops up in this bad boy? There's so many other people that I'm probably Dennis Farnina, uh, Farnina, uh, Farina, Farina, Dennis Farnina. He's great in this. Uh, Farina, uh, excellent. I always have trouble when I I know his name when I'm talking about him, but then when I go to pronounce it, I overpronounce it. But uh, excellent in this. So like essentially, what we have here is um tim allen is kind of this guy who he works in sale advertising he hates his job he hates his life his kid and ben foster can't stand him either he thinks he's a loser doesn't hate him just thinks he's a loser so uh basically he um uh, his son kind of runs in on an assassination attempt playing this dumb squirt gun game stanley tucci is a rich asshole guy that works for a company and he's been skimming stuff off the top but he's an arms dealer so dennis farina uh farina and his partner are coming in his partner's actually played by the guy in big lebowski the the basically the uh landowner the homeowner whatever the the property manager who's who's basically um always like the guy in the shakespeare play is really funny so those two are great together so he's he uh 
he's trying to get assassinated. Uh, Tucci and everything gets mixed up and everybody gets intertwined. Uh, Tom Sizemore and Johnny Knoxville are these kind of lowly criminals, snake and something that are wandering through their lives. Pretty funny performances. And everybody gets mixed up. There's a nuclear warhead gets brought into the equation and there's some uh, CIA, there's CIA agents that pop in. One is Mike Epps. Um, I said, oh, Mike Epps. It's Mo- Omar Epps. Omar Epps, sorry. Mike Epps is the comedic actor, right? I think it's Omar Epps. Yeah, so there's so many people in this movie. Obviously, I love Blossoms. It's very funny. It's very quirky. We have a countdown here. Um, it's just entertaining as hell. And Dennis uh, Farina um, is the best part, hands down. He is just so angry in this movie. So funny. Such a tough guy. Such an Italian kind of character. And there's this ongoing gag that has me laughing hysterically. So they turn on the radio when they're waiting. And it's just like this whole stupid ass like ongoing joke throughout the entire movie about Gator fans. Because they're in Miami. And they, they just realize how bad they hate fucking Miami. But there's just such a great moment where this guy's like, how come you guys talk so much? stuff like the owner that the radio host and he's like when you guys are winning but when you guys lose nobody wants to call in and it goes on for like or like half the movie where they keep turning the radio on and it's still this guy talking he's just like this guy calls in he's like i uh i i called in and he's just like why'd you call in he's like just you said we wouldn't and i did and it's just like it's so fucking funny i just i cannot that's such a great gag i like this kind of movie this comedy of air silliness all intertwined entertaining movie big trouble i would recommend it you know it's kind of it's light it's it's easy, easy going oh patrick walburton and janine garofalo are in it also two great performances there i would recommend big trouble I, I think you guys could do a lot worse i think you guys would enjoy it i i enjoyed it quite a bit check it out it's very funny all right all the comments and questions bad brains horror best of luck dave thank you jim jr 85 hey dave good luck with everything nothing but positive vibes you got this enjoying your reviews and i've been watching your channel since 2008 i hope it continues happy holidays jim thank you i appreciate it happy holidays too stoked uh scab one hope everything goes well for you man i forgot to post this but there's a movie i watched in the early 90s but i think it was 70s or early 80s had a slug or worm-like creature kind of like slither night of the creeps but bigger and i'm pretty sure the movie took place on a spaceship one of the slugs attacks a guy with a curly afro was that uh forbidden not forbidden planet forbidden world um the corman one that could possibly be it or galaxy of terror i think there is a guy um in a forbidden uh world with that um check out galaxy of terror and forbidden world that very well might be it explosive action echoing everybody else best of luck with your procedure i've had a bunch of crap done myself this year turning 40 is overrated oh i bet it is thank you man uh, MJ, um, hope everything gets better. Thank you. DJ Boy, praying for your health and well-being, Dave. I hope the biopsy turns out positive. Thank you. I mean, I got some results back, and there's nothing wrong yet, but it's taken a lot longer than it should. Um, RMT Music 1, good luck with your procedure, Mr. Parker. I've seen uh, Fadarat Mari, Sampo Sands, made some of the craziest trash videos ever seen. Flying Lizard is also one you should check out and his uh, Hunnaman films. Movie Junkie Reviews, 84. I'm a Jack Ketchum fan. Brutal movie, and yes, the movie I remembered was The Guardian. Somebody got it for him. Yeah, Guardian's great. Zach no one please don't go away parker if you could uh please don't go away mr parker if you could put any franchise villain in any setting where would it be do you think warlock in the hood would be a good idea i think julian sands could do a great job in the hood that would be very cute uh taking any villain and putting him in a crazy area i uh my one friend said he would love to see leatherface and haddonfield just cutting people up that could be fun um but i don't know um geez i want to see the neon maniacs somewhere else Besides uh, rainy San Francisco, let's do it anywhere else. Mark Strignato, it can be a sensitive matter to discuss, appre- uh, discuss, appreciate your honesty. I have been watching your channel for the past six and seven years. I hope it continues. Happy holidays and God bless. Back at you. Thank you very much. Kentucky Kentuckinator, if God forbid you can't make any more videos, can I have your pervert card? That you can. Um, Horse Cinema 5130, the movie the viewer said was about karate guys fighting on a rope bridge. Might be Jim Cotta. Um, Ember Rot, best wishes, man. Thank you. Hudson, uh, toes and fingers crossed, Dave. Chin up, a nice cup of tea, and you'll be sorted. All the best from UK. Have a nice pint and let this whole thing blow over, huh? Um, Rob8920, I've been enjoying your content for what feels like 10 years now, but I've never commented once. God knows how many movies I've discovered through your channel, this channel. Thank you. Anywho, I just wanted to send good vibes your way. I'm, I'm sure everything will go smooth. Thank you. Stephen Hyde, I'm sending you so much love and positive energy. I appreciate it, guys. I do. Nick Muell from Belgium. We're all keeping our fingers crossed for you, sir. Good health and a long life. The new release of The Loss is worth the upgrade, and I'm glad I followed your advice, Dave. Now enjoy this modern cult film even more. Also, I'd like to thank uh, Canon1472 for helping me figure out the title of the movie I couldn't remember. Turned out it was 1986 Easy Prey, based on a true story. Very cool. Questions. Have you seen John Carpenter's Body Bags? If so, will lovers of anthologies dig it or hate it? I have. It's good. It's 
been a while. I think you will like it, and watch out for all the cameos in the first story. Great stuff. Why do filmmakers always adapt the same Edgar Allan Poe stories, i.e. The Black Cat and the Pit and the Pendulum? Mr. Poe has quite a body of work. I don't know. But usually when they do adapt uh, The Pit and the Pendulum and Black Cat, they incorporate all his other stories in there, right? So there'll be a cast of Maniano. Somebody's going to get stoned in the wall. You know, somebody's going to kill somebody for something really weird and, and have guilt over it. So, I mean, when they do Poe, they do all of Poe. Some of them are sort of short stories that... But, I mean, they've had, what, The Raven's been made. I mean, a lot of these are so loosely based. House of Usher's been made so many times, too. So they're there. Premature Burial, I believe, is a post story. So, or maybe that was just based on Edgar Allan Poe. Who knows? That's what I mean, right? Uh, would you say that VHS 85 is the best of the franchise? No, I'd say part two is, hands down. But 85 might be the second best. Um, thanks for keeping us both entertained and informed. Take care until next week. Eddie Daniels 5034. Dave, I've been watching your channel for years now. It's like you're my friend. Good luck with everything. I'll be thinking of you. Thank you. Uh, Coastline FX, hello Dave. Nothing to worry regarding a liver biopsy. I've had two done since being on different arthritis medications. Yeah, there, it wasn't painful. It wasn't that bad. Just a day out, a couple of days of relaxing. And I probably didn't even have to do that, but I felt way better anyways. Uh, Kadem, good luck on the biopsy. You got this. Update on my mystery 70s Italian spooky castle movie. It's They have changed their face. 71, directed by uh, Carnado Farina. That's that's funny. That same name as Dennis Farina. I got it right that time. And starring Adolfo Selly. Adolfo is in a lot of good stuff. He's in um, Burb of the Crystal Plumage. Uh, Necropsy. I hope you're okay, man. You have my our prayers. Thank you, Tony Gonzalez. A heart. David Brandt. Uh, good luck, buddy. Enjoying the reviews. Thank you, everybody. Um, and C.D. Ducante. Uh, hey, Dave. Great review as always. Good luck. Positive vibes, bro. Keep keep it creepy. I will. Um, Travis Linscombe. Hey Dave, I hope your medical procedure goes smoothly. Sorry to hear about your shitty week. I'm sending well wishes and I hope you get some rest and relaxation in your future. Ken Coakley. I watched Full Body Massage on cable years ago, but don't remember much. The actual reason I watched the movie is because I liked Brian Brown because of FX in 96 and Breaker and Morant in 1980. I also like Nicholas Rogue, who directed two rock stars in their film debuts. These two were performance starring Mick Jagger, which was filmed in the 68 but not released until 70, and the second was The Man Who Fell to Earth starring David Bowie, as well as Rip Thorne and Candy Clark. Mimi Rogers did a very interesting horror movie called The Rapture in 91, in which she played a woman who converted to Christian after two Christian men tell her about the rapture. She goes from swinging to being a Christian who converts an ex-lover played by David Duchovny. It was all, it was something I recently discovered. Uh, Thruv is a rapture sequence that is visually... There is a rapture sequence that is visually breathtaking. The film also stars Will Patton. Love Will Patton. Another subject, I've been reading about your health problems, but on Facebook you said you were upset over something, but they weren't health problems. Whatever it is, I will pray for your physical and emotional health to be perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. As a Christian, I take prayer seriously and don't use the promise of prayer as an empty platitude. Hang in there. If it is there something physical, then I'll make it. If it's something physical, then I'll make a deal with you. I will walk again and meet you at Cinema Wasteland in person. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you will. I, I hope that you get better. I hope that you're home with your movies and everything too, Ken Coakley. I appreciate the kind words again. Like I said, uh, Ja Punk seems to be the seems to be the days where many people don't know about the future. Fucking uh, mortality, no shit. I appreciate the company of Mr. Parker Show, a robust steady diet of films each week, and we will get word of them soon after consuming. Horror, independent, international, and lowbrow, all being given special attention, fits in my worldview. Uh, straying from narrative view, I spent most of the week looking at the terror being laid up on Gaza. Out of it, discovered the news site Al Maldin operating out of Lebanon. Al uh, Dean apparently translates as a square, and it is motivated to cover events from the perspective of progressive values put forth since the Arab Spring. The video footage is pretty rough and has busted aesthetic compared to CNN, New York Times, so in a way it's like watching independent international horror movie. Jeez, that's it's a rough situation, you know. I surpri I'm surprised no one else commented, but there was a surreal effect when you ran the trailer for Blue Rita. By having the... Okay, quick cut images play over your face, created a weird moving collage. I've seen similar things in art museums. Did I accidentally keep it like lim Did I actually do something? Did I actually do the uh, like uh, density? I might have done something. I was screwing around earlier. I didn't know if it went through like that. Fat Pig Conqueror, hope everything goes your way, man. Thank you. Southport Rocker, hope all went well, Dave. Take care. Adam Watson, do you set out to be in the freakiest shit ever, or is it just how it goes? LL, awesome either way. He said, I just spotted you in Skinless. You were so convincing as that boss man, I didn't recognize you at first. No, I guess when I used to act, I just kind of was crazy enough. It's the people I knew were making those movies that I was associated with, Dustin. And, you know, I um, knew Adam Albrandt a little bit and people like that, and Scott Shermer and Arthur Culliper and Fred Vogel. So I ended up in their movies. Uh, 
I started in Dustin's stuff, and I just kind of think I got a reputation. Uh, James Bell and stuff was in his film. Just my geographical location was around them for the most part, and I just was great. I would do anything at the time, so I guess I got put in those movies, right? Always got killed, always got nude, nude all, all sorts of crazy things. You know, I'm glad I did them. I don't know if I do too many more anymore, uh, anymore, and I don't think I would do what I did in those movies now at this age. If that makes any sense, I, I just a lot of hard work. I'm I'm old, and I'm a little bit. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, got gray hair now. I'm just a little bit more sensitive, I guess, about it. But uh, let's hop into that update, guys. All right, let's hop into this first update. A couple cheap 4Ks. I got a terrible glare here. 2001 Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick, obvious classic. Grab this. I mean, this is going to look great in, in 4K. Let me know how this got, one looks, guys. And next up, of course, Pulp Fiction, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, classic movie here. Love Pulp Fiction. You know, it's not my favorite Tarantino, but uh, I like it, obviously. Great movie. Then we have a Blu-ray here of Blue Steel, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Vestron collection here. This one I've never seen. I'm, I'm still hoping that they put out freaking Ghoulies 3, Ghoulies Go to College. Then we have a couple imports here. I picked these up along with um, The Hut when I ordered it. This is Inner Senses from 2002. Heard good things about this one. I know Brandon Orlick from Exploding Heads was a huge fan of this movie. So here we go. does have English subtitles and it is uh, region free. A blue ray there and then we have the aisle which has a huge kind of like a cult following and i hear it's pretty pretty intense pretty crazy movie and this again is a region all and blu-ray here um does have english subtitles so this this looks kind of like a cheaper blu-ray to be honest doesn't look amazing but hey i grabbed it to get free shipping too and i always wanted to see it next up we have the seventh sign from screen factory which is a movie i never love but it was one that always drives me crazy that i never upgraded so i finally just bit the bullet or it was going to drive me nuts I, i'll definitely give it another chance debbie moore here i i need to well i watched it when i was really young so that means nothing and last up, of course, is finally this did come. I got my Chatterer box set, uh, the Arrow 4K Chatterer Hellraiser 1 through 4. See, what happened was it got lost in customs or something like that. So I was like, ah. I was like, I, I thought they were not going to send me one. So I, I, I filed missing mail, but they ended up sending me a brand new one, and it came. So now I have the Pinhead and the Chatterer. I'm definitely going to send the Pinhead in some time, maybe after it goes out of print, just to make my money back. So, um, yeah, but this is, uh, the, the, of course, the 4K uh, import from Arrow of the first four Hellraiser films. And it's the Chatterer kind of variant here. I picked Chatterer, of course. He's my favorite-looking Cenobite. I don't know if he's the best. I mean, I like Chenard. I like Pinhead. I like all of them. But, yeah, I just love how Chatterer looks. So, yeah, that's the update. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And, as always, have a good one. Yeah.